This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligans website. With the first pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Now to the recommendations, which come in four strategic areas. Our first group of recommendations focuses on creating realistic pathways for student-athlete success. Now here's your host, Alex Dreisick. Welcome back to Moose's Mulligans, your favorite sports podcast for money talks and BS walks. I'm your host, Alex Streisak. Got a great show for you here. I want to open up uh, to remind you that we go to facebook.com slash Moose's Mulligans, give the show a like, and go to moosesmulligans.weebly.com, our official website. We have some awesome news. We're on Spotify now. No way! So there will be a link posted there to go to Spotify Follow us there. It's awesome streaming. You get awesome pictures of our episodes. It's a really cool thing through Spotify. Oh, this is fun, huh? Now, getting on to the show this week, I wanted to open up real quick with a viewer question that came in, and it was about Matt Harvey being moved to the bullpen and what kind of effect he's really having on the Mets. Now, last night, Saturday night, the Mets got absolutely destroyed by the Padres. And they haven't been playing good baseball lately, like I warned you guys. If you look at my power rankings at moosesmulligans.blogspot.com. But Matt Harvey getting moved to the bullpen, this has been a problem coming for a long time. He has complained his whole way, and because he was a high draft pick out of a big college where he was treated very well in college too, he's kind of acted like he's entitled to whatever he wants. And he had a good, really good rookie year. Actually, that's not—that's a really good rookie year. That he—he he got cute with it. He—he kind of thinks he can do whatever he wants, even though he's pitching like crap. So they tell him you're pitching like crap. We're moving him to the bullpen, and he starts complaining even more. Just to compare him, he's being a cancer in the locker room versus someone like Kyle Schwarber, who really struggled last year and got sent down to the minors, had a big injury. Had a lot of adversity. And when he came back in the World Series and got his number called, he didn't make a big deal. He didn't make it about him. He just produced and did a great job of it, by the way. I just want to point that out a little bit. I think Matt Harvey's definitely hurting the Mets right now. And the Mets have a lot of other issues coming their way. So the next thing I want to transition over to is the NFL draft just happened. I know I posted a tease about Connolly's Rice. We're going to finish with that. So first, let's talk about the NFL draft. There's a few teams I really wanted to shout out. I thought did a great job, and then a few that I think did a terrible job. Let's start. Let's start with the good this time. Let's mix it up. Normally, I finish, let's let's start with the good because I want to talk about the team that I'm rooting for, the Cleveland Browns. So I'll start with them. They take Baker Mayfield as the number one pick. Now Baker Mayfield is not Johnny Manziel. Baker Mayfield, 6'1", I think is still good enough height, even though people are saying he's still too short. 
he's a film nerd. He loves watching film. Johnny Manziel was too busy watching Vegas. Baker Mayfield is watching film and getting better. And as you can see in those competitive, really tough games, he's going to try everything he can to win it for you. And usually he does. They also added, with the fourth overall pick, a cornerback that they desperately needed, Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. And if you haven't seen how the league is lately, look at what Jacksonville did. You have Bouye and Jalen Ramsey, and you're playing one game away from going to the Super Bowl. Great pick by the Browns. They had an O-lineman, Corbett, out of Nevada to help protect their newly drafted quarterback in the future. They had a running back in Nick Chubb, who's more of a goal lineback, which they definitely needed. They have Carlos Hyde, who's great. They have Duke Johnson Jr., who's great, but none of them are really goal linebacks. I would say Nick Chubb gives them that extra hump at the goal line. Good for them. And I, I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Antonio Callaway pick. He's a slot receiver. Yeah, they have Corey Coleman, but he's kind of bigger. You know, and Josh Gordon, he's bigger. Jarvis Landry, he's a little bigger. So that, that could actually be a bigger pick than people are thinking in the fourth round out of Florida. The next team I'm going to shout out, and they're the pick right after the Browns, with number two overall pick, the New York Giants. Now, Giants fans, you know, you're coming off a terrible year. No offense, but it was terrible. Saquon Barkley, perfect fit for the Giants. They need that star running back. He has a really, really good potential to shine there. He's got a veteran quarterback in Eli Manning setting him up perfectly to adjust over into the NFL. Now, normally when you get a running back, he's going to need some help, and they took an O-lineman out of UTEP, Will Hernandez. Great O-lineman. Great pick. You add in a linebacker like Lorenzo Carter from Georgia in the third round. You're starting to help out your defense. And then in the fourth round, the pick you traded from from Tampa Bay, you get uh, Kyle Loletta, uh, quarterback out of Richmond. And, you know, a kind of later pick flyer on a quarterback. But, I mean, hey, we've seen Tom Brady go lower. I'm not saying anything about how great this quarterback's going to be. But at least they took one with some young potential. I think it was a great draft for the Giants coming off a terrible year. And that gives Giants fans some hope going into the future. One pick alone I want to point out before we continue on because it's the pick right after with Sam Darnold at the third pick. He might be the best quarterback in this draft, honestly. And with the New York Jets, they're going to let him just take the reins, in my opinion. And I think, I think he, he's going to be give the, given the go right away. Same with someone like Josh Rosen in the 10th pick for Arizona. I don't know if that pick's as quality as Sam Darnold. But I'm really proud of the Jets for that pick. That was a great quarterback to bet on. <clears throat> now moving on to uh, the team I want to pra praise, actually, is the team that left me brokenhearted and left me a Cleveland Browns fan. This, oh, they're not there anymore. That's awkward. It's the Los Angeles Chargers of Carson. Yeah, so uh, if you didn't know, usually the Charger drafts leave me scratching my head and... Honestly, just pissed off. But Melvin Gordon panned out better than I thought he would. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back a little bit. This is the first time I ever saw the Chargers have a need and actually answer it in the draft. They needed help in the secondary big time. Jason Fred had some injury problems, and he's also going to need help on the other side. Derwin James is a 6-3 DB that helps in that secondary. Uh, they also needed linebacker help, that was for sure, and they 
and they took the most two out of a uh, USC. So local guy, that should be awesome. And uh, they they also added in some in the later rounds. What really gets me happy is they actually drafted an O lineman. Yeah, the squad Quesenberry out of uh, UCLA. That's awesome. Another Los Angeles kid who I think very underrated. I think he's a very good alignment, actually. And so they did a really good job of actually addressing their needs. And speaking of addressing needs, I'm so proud of the Baltimore Ravens for putting their quarterback, Joe Flacco, on the spot. Now, they get their 25th overall pick from Tennessee, right? And they take a tight end, Hayden Hurst. He's a 6'5 freak out of South Carolina. I'm okay with that. Taking, taking freaks is always okay with me because you never know. They have the best chance of being absolutely ridiculous. They always have the highest ceiling. But with the pick they got from the Eagles, 32 overall, they took Lamar Jackson out of Louisville. And I think that was one of the biggest value picks, actually. Because now you put the pressure on Joe Flacco. You said, we're going to change the playbook around. We think this guy's the future. You put the pressure on Joe Flacco, who got the big contract, to actually get it done. And what I love is everybody's starting to learn. They've been watching the Patriots for a while. They've been watching what the Cowboys did. Right after they take Lamar Jackson, who do they take in the third round? An offensive lineman out of Oklahoma, Orlando Brown. I hope the offensive lineman listening to this realize how much love I'm throwing them right now. I love, love drafting a lineman. I think it can literally make your team. But overall, I think that was a good, good draft for Baltimore because they get a good O-lineman, they get a freak, and I think Lamar Jackson is a freak too. He has a high, high ceiling and potential. So good for them. All right, let's move over to the teams that I wasn't happy with. And I'm going to put John Elway's Broncos right on this to start it. Let's just say that. They had the fifth overall pick in dire need of a quarterback, in my opinion. And you have John Elway, who prides himself on quarterbacks. And you take Bradley Chubb, who I think is overrated. I don't know about that one. I Josh Allen was still sitting there. Josh, Even Josh Rosen was still sitting there, you could argue. He's more ready to start, but wouldn't Josh Allen be so cool to have John Elway as his mentor and to play for his Broncos? That is so cool to me. But instead, they take Bradley Chubb, and then they take Cortland Sutton, uh, Sutton, a wide receiver out of SMU. And I don't know who's going to throw to him. You're taking a wide receiver in the second round, and you don't, have, you don't have anybody to throw to him. And then you add a running back out of Oregon, Royce Freeman. He's, I, there's nobody to keep them honest. He's going to get destroyed, too. And their O-line is eh, and they didn't really draft any O-line. I, they took a guard in the sixth round out of Arizona State. I mean... Eh, this draft was just eh for me. They took one, two wide receivers. They took one, two running backs. They took a tight end. I don't think they have anyone to throw to him. They actually didn't draft one quarterback, which means maybe there's some other deal going on. Maybe there's somebody they expect to get in free agency next year, and they they just hope to ride the tide for now, or there's a sophomore in college they love. and Hey, maybe they'll finish low enough to not have the fifth pick, but the first pick. Who knows? But football's so crazy and changes so fast that I don't know if I trust the Broncos this year, especially after these picks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them on blast here and say that I don't think this was a very good draft. All right, the last team I'm going to put on blast is Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks. 
I think they had the worst offensive line in the entire NFL last year, and Russell Wilson's too. Russell Wilson is way too humble to tell you that. Looking at their draft, they decided to take Rashad Penny a little early in everyone's opinion out of San Diego State, the running back. Great running back. But it's going to be hard to run when you have literally no offensive line. The only good offensive lineman they had, they traded away for Jimmy Graham, and that hasn't proved out to be very strong. And to address this problem, they drafted one tackle, Jamarco Jones, Ohio State, in the fifth round. One. How, how do you only draft one when you have a serious problem? And they took a punter in the fifth round out of Texas, Michael Dixon. Why are you taking punters before your offensive line? I mean, maybe they're onto something here because if their offensive line is that bad, they're going to be punting a lot. So maybe taking the punter is not a bad idea, actually. Maybe that might be the best pick they have all year. But, like always, I'm going to wrap up with what the New England Patriots did. They added Sonny Michelle out of Georgia just to add to their running back freaking monster they always have. And like always, they added a good uh, O-lineman, Isaiah Wynn, out of Georgia in the first round. And they collected picks. If you, if you look at New England's draft, the only pick that they had that was actually theirs was Sonny Mitchell, the, the f- f- first round pick 31, because they make smart moves. They're always moving because the NFL changes so fast. Uh, their picks came from the Rams, the Rams, the Jets, the Colts, the Raiders, the Browns, the Titans, and the Eagles. <laughs> And they did a great job. Uh, they took. They always kind of take. They needed one quarterback to back up Tom Brady, and they took uh, uh, Danny Etling out of LSU. He's six three. He's athletic. I'm okay with that. Pete Carroll probably sees something I don't like usual. But to, just to add on, I mean, they got Braxton Barrios late as a slot special teams guy out of the U. You know, Belichick likes those guys. He can find a lot of ways to use them. Uh, they added some secondary help in the second round with Duke Dawson out of Florida. Now you're asking why I'm bringing up the Patriots. Because they always do such a hell of a good job in the draft. And they always seem to know what they're doing. So they're always a good team to learn from. I, I would say that this, obviously, they, they had some holes that they think they need to fill. And I think they, they did it, I, from what I'm looking at. And just just to add on to the Gronk stuff, I, I think the, the funny thing is the last pick they took was a tight end, Izzo, out of Florida State. So it, it adds depth. They added depth everywhere they needed it. And uh, I'm, always, I'm always a fan of watching what the Patriots are doing. All right, the last topic we have for the show this week. On Wednesday morning, former Secretary of State Connelly's Rice and the Commission of College Basketball had released their findings and recommendations for NCAA basketball. First, before I get into the falling, uh, the the released findings, this is embarrassing for the NCAA basketball already. What makes it more embarrassing is that they're relying on outside sources to solve their obvious problems. They have huge problems that they created on their own, and they're relying on other people to fix it. That, as I call, is soft. So let's let's get to the actual report first, though, because Condoleezza Rice and the committee said that. They needed to be bold, and in my opinion, they were underwhelming. It wasn't bold, in my opinion. Now, there was a lot of good material and good suggestions. It's about a 60-page report. It took like six months to put together, apparently. And The commission recommended that undrafted athletes be allowed to return to their school. 
and that certified agents be allowed to work with prospects and their families starting in high school. That's a no-brainer fix. I don't know why that's not a rule anyway. Let's that should just automatically start happening this next year. That that's no problem whatsoever. Uh, we see it in baseball. You cannot sign after you get drafted in high school and go to college, and you can go back if you get drafted your junior year in baseball and go back for your senior year. And you don't you, you don't see it in football. They have to declare for the draft, but you you do. You do need to see this in basketball with such short rounds, and the G League shouldn't be the area for players to go, or overseas shouldn't be the area for players to go, when they honestly could have just gone back to school and started growing more on their education and growing as a basketball player to make the competition better in the league. So that's a no-brainer right there. They also proposed... Really, really strict, more strict punishments for programs and coaches who are caught cheating. Things like a five-year ban, well, postseason ban, as opposed to the one-year postseason ban. And it's smart. I mean, you, you hit them hard. But I, my problem with this is, like, if, if like, I don't know, if Coach K gets caught cheating, you know, if UNC got caught cheating again, are those coaches really going to get a five-year postseason ban? The NCAA won't allow that. They're the reason people watch the postseason so much. That'd be like saying that, you know, you know, we're going to suspend the two New York teams in base. We're going to suspend the Mets and the Yankees from the playoffs. You're going to lose a lot of viewership. And that—that's not the NCAA. Don't let them fool you. That they say they're a nonprofit. I said it a hundred times. They're gonna do what they can to bring in the most profit from their March Madness. They won't suspend those coaches for more than a year. It would hurt them way too much as a as a profit standpoint. Now the commission also wants independent investigators, which makes sense. Obviously, I mean. The NCAA should partner with USA Basketball, they're saying, and the NBA could run more summer events because the AAU is nuts. It's completely ungoverned, you could call it, and it's it's just, it's just, the word I always say is sketchy. It's sketchy. But the NCAA also, they're, they're, the commission here suggested rule changes that the NCAA actually can't fix, and you can't, you can't do that in my opinion. These are suggestions that they're giving to other organizations to fix. And my rule is always clean your closet before you go digging in others. And their closet's not even close to clean before they start telling the NBA to get rid of the one and done rule. That's on the NBA. That's not on the NCAA. They can't do anything about that. But it's an NBA rule. So the NCAA is almost kind of like telling the NBA like, hey, keep collegiate players ready for the NBA and keep him in school longer instead of having all this disgruntled corrupt money coming through so players can find a way to get to the NBA we I mean it's the NCAA said that maybe they could do something where it's called a scholarship lock a scholarship lockup or something like that or a freshman ineligibility and that's just getting absolutely ridiculous if the NCAA does that. That's taken the power out of the players' hands that literally already have, like, no power in this. That's why there is corruption. 
if they do a like a freshman ineligibility thing, I think I think that's ridiculous, and they should at least make it so kids can get drafted out of high school then. So that like baseball, I know it, they have a deeper minor league system, but you can get drafted out of high school if you're really good and you think it's worth it. They think it's worth it. Great. Or you go to college and you have to wait till you're 21 or your junior year. That's how it works. Or you go to a junior college and you can get drafted your first year or your second year at junior college. It gives you more opportunities when you're ready and you think you're ready to go. So that NBA is making too many kids go overseas, in my opinion, and too many kids go to the G League too early. So I think the NBA should get rid of the one-and-done rule, but we're not talking about the the NBA. We're talking about the NCAA. We're talking about what they can do to make a change. And honestly, they've dug their own hole, and they say they want to do something bold, but they really can't because... They secretly still want to have the control over the players. To, you know, if they give them more options to get drafted out of high school, then they never come to the NCAA. And, you know, the, if they give them the three years, they'll have better competition for sure. But it, it, be, it really comes down to, I think, they don't want kids getting drafted out of high school. So what's the bottom line of all this that we get from the case study? We really shouldn't be surprised that there was no big ideas, no bold ideas, or anything that's really going to make a revolution and change the NCAA forever. The NCAA just continues to just bury themselves in their pay-for-play issue, and that's going to go on as long as they can, because they profit from it too. We kind of knew that there was an elephant in the room that would not be addressed, but there are some positives to take away. We're starting to get some changes. But it, overall, I'm disappointed in the NCAA still. And as, as you guys, if, if you've listened to this, that's a pretty common trend lately. Alright, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Moose's Mulligans. Make sure to go to facebook.com slash Mulligans. Give us a like. You get all the latest updates. You can go to moosesmulligans.weebly.com. Another great place to keep up with everything. We're on Spotify now, so open up your Spotify app, search Moose, M-O-O-S-E, scroll down to podcast, and you can find us right there, Moose Mulligans. It's beautiful, awesome new edition, and I'm so excited to be on that app. Make sure to send in your opinions, too. Uh, we had that viewer question at the beginning about Matt Harvey. I love taking viewer questions. I will do everything I can to get it on this show. Fill out the contact form on moosesmulligans.weebly.com. Tweet at us, at moosesmulligans. Go to Facebook, post on our page, send us a Facebook message. I really want to hear your opinion, and I really want to bring it to the mic. Just like what changes we're trying to make in the NCAA, we can make changes to what you want to hear. Maybe it's about athlete abuse, which we've talked about before. But bring the topics to my attention, and we will get it on the air. All right, until next week, this is your favorite sports podcast for Money Talks and BS Walks. I'm your host, Alex Streisand. See you next week.